0: AT&T Fiber, Live Like a Gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and for slash hypergig with details.
1: Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared.
2: This Day in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio.
0: Hello and welcome to This Day in History Class, a show that proves it's never too late to make history. I'm Gabe Lusier, and today we're reflecting on the grim irony of the Indian Citizenship Act, a U.S. policy that conferred citizen status on the people who had lived there longer than anyone else— The day was June 2nd, 1924. President Calvin Coolidge signed into law the Indian Citizenship Act, granting citizenship to all Native Americans born in the United States. Although the 14th Amendment had declared that any person born in the U.S. was a citizen, it defined the term as anyone, quote, subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Interpretations of that clause consistently excluded indigenous peoples, arguing that since many of them lived in separate nations within the U.S. on designated reservation land, they were not subject to U.S. jurisdiction and therefore not citizens. That view informed the nation's policy for the better part of 50 years, but was finally done away with through the passage of the Indian Citizenship Act. Prior to the American Civil War, the federal government used what's known as a blood quantum to evaluate whether or not a Native American could become a U.S. citizen. The highly controversial system limited citizenship based on ancestry, or the amount of Indian blood that a person had. Only those of one-half or less Indian blood were eligible to become U.S. citizens. The rules on that front began to loosen ever so slightly during the Reconstruction era, as progressive Republican lawmakers began pushing for more paths to citizenship for members of friendly tribes. Those new avenues included serving in the military, marrying a U.S. citizen, or accepting a land allotment offered by the Dawes Act. Enacted in 1887, the Dawes Act was meant to encourage the assimilation of Native Americans by offering full citizenship to those who agreed to leave their tribal lands and become farmers. The heads of families who accepted the terms were given free 160-acre allotments to live and work on, parcels of land which had once belonged to their tribes in the first place. In addition, the government established Indian schools, where Native American children were taught to abandon their cultural traditions In order to better fit in with white Americans. By the late 1800s, roughly 8% of native people had qualified for U.S. citizenship, either through marriage, military service, or most commonly through the Dawes Act. The vast majority remained ineligible, but even for those who qualified, citizenship came at a high cost. In the late 1920s, the Institute for Government Research assessed the impact of the Dawes Act and its conclusion, as summarized in the Merriam Report, was decidedly negative. It was determined that government policy had oppressed Native American families and wreaked havoc on their culture and society. Many lived in abject poverty, as the redistribution of tribal lands through allotments had left the Native population with only about a third of the acreage it had held prior to the Dawes Act. The failures of the policy eventually led to the passage of the 1934 Indian Reorganization Act, which promoted Native American autonomy and self-government. However, in between the Dawes Act and the Reorganization Act was the Indian Citizenship Act of 1924. The catalyst for its enactment was the First World War. More than 12,000 Native Americans had served in the U.S. Army during World War I, And all of them were later offered citizenship in 1919. But Congress and President Coolidge felt that the high rate of enlistment deserved a more inclusive reward the extension of U.S. citizenship to all Native Americans who had not already claimed it by other means. Of course, the government's aim may not have been entirely altruistic. Roughly 60% of the 300,000 or so Native Americans in the country were already US citizens by 1924 granting citizenship to the rest of them may have been a way to break up the remaining native nations and hurry along the assimilation process whatever the true motivation on June 2, 1924 the federal government granted US citizenship to all native americans born within the territorial limits of the country the number of people affected by the law was about 125000 or 0.1%, of the total U.S. population at the time. Well-intentioned or not, the law was deeply divisive among tribes. Some were in favor of the act, believing it would grant them more protections and better opportunities. Others argued it would only lead to the further erosion of Native American identity and land rights. After all, the government behind it was the same one that had stolen their land and left their communities in disarray. What reason did they have to think the new law would result in anything different? Part of the problem was that no one had asked for tribal input when crafting the law. Progressive senators and activists, the majority of whom were white, had shaped the policy all on their own. That made many Native Americans feel as if citizenship was being forced on them, whether they wanted it or not, and in some cases at the expense of previous treaties. For example, Iroquois leaders argued that the U.S. government had already recognized them as a separate and sovereign nation, meaning that the decision to become U.S. citizens should have been theirs to make, not the federal government. The act also met with mixed reception because it failed to secure the full privileges of citizenship for Native Americans. Most notably, it didn't guarantee them the right to vote. In the early 20th century, voting rights were still mostly governed by state law. And as a result, Native Americans in states like Arizona, New Mexico, and South Dakota were refused access to the polls. Most states relented in the following decades, but the final holdouts didn't withdraw their bans on Native American voting until the 1950s. In that way, the U.S. government proved all too consistent in its treatment of Native Americans. They were the first peoples of this country, but the last to be recognized as its citizens. I'm Gabe Lussier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to pass them along by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays and Ben Hackett for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again soon for another day in history class.